So by way of review, I'll put up on the screen here again. Like I told you, for the next couple of weeks probably, I'm going to continue to put this up here. We've been looking at Matthew presenting Jesus as king, and that was the purpose for his writing of the gospel, is uh, he was trying to show to the Jews to make sure they didn't miss it, that Jesus fulfilled all these amazing things and uh, understanding that, hey guys, uh, the Messiah has come. And we talked about his birth, we talked about his genealogy, we talked about the herald of the king, we talked about his royal welcome, okay, that the, the wise men came recognizing him as king. We talked about his temptation, how God proved him to be uh, the king. And then we talked about the king's call. Okay, we looked at that. We talked about his baptism, how he had to fulfill all righteousness, that he went to John, and John baptized him so that would be a fulfillment. Then we talked about the stages of the king's call. Okay, and again, just asking ourselves, where are we fitting in here? Okay, that's the question, and I want to continue. Jesus with all his apostles, and um, again, the discipleship that we use here at the church is designed to bring us through these exact stages. Okay, when you look at how it is laid out, and, and men of God have worked for a long time to put this thing together, that first the person is called to salvation, okay, then they are called to serve after you are a believer. Then, and again, just as a reminder, there are many people in this world who may have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and ask them to be their Savior, but then they spend the rest of their lives sitting in a pew, twiddling their thumbs, doing nothing. Okay, and there's churches all around the world right now full of people who are, know they're going to heaven but have never stepped up to do anything in service. Okay, and then you serve. After you serve and you see that God works the disciples through that, then there's a sacrifice. And remember the verse we read where it says, and they left all. Okay, and there's a point in our lives where we say, you know what, Lord, no matter whatever happens, no matter what circumstance comes in my life, I will serve. I will do what you're asking me to do. And we've all come to that place in our lives, and usually it's not more than not just once, that there are times in our lives where God says, are you really serious? Okay, uh, for those of us on Wednesday night, we're about to step into uh, Daniel where it's Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And they're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They know the consequences, and they say, Sorry, we're not bowing down to this image. They, no matter what you do to us, King, okay, we will not do that. That's sacrifice. And what I love about the passage is not only does it say, this is the wrong thing for us to do, and they say, God can deliver us out of your hand. But even if God doesn't deliver us out of your hand, we're not going to bow down. Talk about sacrifice. Okay? And then once you make that kind of commitment to the Lord, then God can start separating onto leadership. So now that you're not just serving, now God is helping you to be influential in other people's lives. And then to the point, once you get to that place in your life, God can say, good, now go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Okay, you want to start shepherding. You want to take the word of God. Now again, please don't freak out. That doesn't mean you're going to stand in a pulpit and be titled as a pastor or a deacon or whatever. It just means you are at a place in your life that no matter what God tells you, that you have stepped up and said, Father, I will follow you no matter what. And God brings you to a point where you are now now able to teach God's word and share it with other people to help them as they grow in the Lord. These are the stages, and this is what Jesus laid out to his disciples several different times. He says, all right, listen, hey, if you 
follow me. So they followed him. Then he says, oh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Then he shows up again and says, follow me. And they left all. Then he says, okay, send you out two by two to start preaching the gospel. Okay. Then at the very end, after Jesus was resurrected, and he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me more than anything else in the, around? Good. Feed my sheep. Okay. Feed my sheep. Share God's word. Grow them. Okay, so that's the point. So I'm just going to continually remind us of this thing because God wants us to walk through these stages in our lives. Now, and again, I'm not looking out in the crowd and trying to figure out who's in what stage. That's between you and the Lord. But we all want to be growing and moving forward. Okay, so today we are entering the section of Jesus' public ministry. Remember we talked about there are three specific parts, the preparation of the king, the public ministry of the king, and then the passion of the king. Okay, where he goes and gets prepared to sacrifice himself on the cross. Well, here in uh, Matthew, we are stepping into that public ministry of the Lord Jesus. So let's read this together. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And honestly, Lord, this section we're talking about is probably one of the most pivotal passages in Christianity. And Lord, uh, just give me the clarity of mind to share things that will help us to understand this and apply it. And Lord, how we could use it in our own lives. And Father, just to set it in its proper place in the whole scope of Scripture so that we can, uh, Lord, just have a better understanding of the way you put your Bible together. So, Father, I just thank you for your word. Help us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, he starts his public ministry, and an easy way to break down the public ministry, so we talked about the Bible, the book of Matthew breaks into three sections. Well, his public ministry breaks down into three sections, too. For the first chapters here, five through seven, if you didn't pick it up when we began reading it, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Dan just talked about it in Sunday school. Uh, that is five through seven. What Jesus said, then chapters eight through ten, the stuff that Jesus did, pretty simple. And in chapters 11 through 16, how the people responded. Okay, and then we talked about already, from that time is a key phrase. Okay, in chapter 16, from that time things change and the people are out to, especially the Jewish leadership, are out to crucify him. And Jesus starts speaking and talking about the fact that he would give his life for his sheep. All right? But this is a layout of the public ministry as Matthew records it. 
The other Gospels fill a lot of other pieces in, but this is how Matthew records this, all right? So let's keep going. Matthew 5 and 12, known as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the... You guys have heard of the Beatitudes before, right? Okay. Um, this is the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. This is arguably the most famous passage in Christendom. And I say that because uh, without getting into a whole lot, we could probably spend quite a while just talking about how this passage is handled in, and I say Christendom, not necessarily Christianity, but uh, those who would file themselves into a Christ-respecting religion. All right? Um, that some, the way we'll talk about it a little bit this morning, uh, and I want to set this properly, and then how others people take it. When we look at this passage, now in Luke, Jesus teaches some of the same concepts as we're going to talk here, but there's quite a bit of difference. Because remember, Matthew's job is he's presenting this to the Jews. Now, if you saw the title of this, it was called The Tenets of the King. Okay, You know what a tenant is, right? Uh, not tenant, like somebody who lives in your apartment. Um, but a tenant is a belief system in a religion, in a government. It is basically the way you could say the tenets of being an American is believing in the Constitution. Yes, I said that. You have to believe in the Constitution. Okay? It's hard to think that there are people that are members of our nation who don't, but that's important. If you are going to be an American, there's certain things that an American does, an American believes in. Well, Jesus is laying out Matthew here, but Jesus is laying out the things that a person who is in his kingdom should believe and how they should respond all right that's he's going to say you want to know what it's like to be a citizen of the kingdom of jesus christ this is the structure these are the things that are set forth now again matthew is speaking to jews so some of the stuff we're looking at here doesn't have a church application and there's some of the problems. And I say this is twisted sometimes and mishandled in Christendom is because we'll read through this and say, oh, that's the church right there. This is what the church should be doing. That's not who he's talking to. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people okay, who are expecting a Jewish king on the throne of David to fulfill everything that has been promised from the Old Testament. So there's a couple things here that we can't apply to ourselves. Okay, so sometimes someone will come up and say, that, well, this is only to the Jews and none of it makes any difference to you and me. Okay, we know that that's not true because we know all scripture is profitable, every bit of it. Now, it may not be written to me, but it's certainly written for me. So there's some things we can learn here. On the other hand, there are a lot of Christian groups who have gotten so focused on a social gospel that they have taken this passage out and the Sermon on the Mount and made it all scripture. The rest of it really doesn't matter that much. And as long as you are to do the things that are listed here, that's how a Christian should act and that's how we are going to change this world. So as long as you fit into these eight blessed are these, 
then we are making the world the place that God wants it to be. And that is also wrong. Okay? Um, for lack of a better word, the word that we've been throwing around already this morning is woke. Okay? There's an easy way that you can take some of these verses and make them woke. Okay? And disregard some of the other teaching in God's word. And say, well, we're just living by the Sermon of the Mount, what Jesus taught us. And listen, again, without bringing out any instance, but you have heard politicians say, well, what would Jesus do? Well, if Jesus was, Jesus would hear, was here, Jesus would do this, and Jesus would do that, and Jesus would do this. A lot of that is taken because they're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? And disregarding what Jesus did in a lot of other places. Okay, where Jesus just loved people and cared for people and did all this stuff. And, and you can do whatever you want because Jesus just loved. Well, Jesus had a lot of other passages where Jesus chewed people out and gave the business and taught us some serious doctrinal issues. So again, you can take this to the extreme where it's not written to any of us. We don't have to pay attention to it. Or you can take it to the extreme where this is the only thing we need to have to we worry about, nothing else. Both of those are extremely dangerous positions. Okay, and that's why it's important that we kind of look at this in the proper scope. All right, and that's why I want to set this, because we'll get there in a minute, but just there's a phrase here that I want to point out that hopefully will remind us that we don't fit into this group of people that Jesus is talking to. It says, shall inherit the earth. Right? That's one of the promises we'll look at. Anywhere in the Bible, is it nowhere is it taught that Christians will inherit the earth. Okay? Who inherits the earth? God's people, Israel. They are the ones who are promised. So again, that verse alone reminds us, okay, wait a second. This can't be applied to us as Christians. Because we're not going to inherit the earth. That's a promise to Israel. In the future. Now, do we have a place in his kingdom? And do, are, are we children of the king? Yes, we are. But we don't have the same promises that are listed here. So it's very important that when we look at this, we're not going, oh yeah, these are church verses, baby. This is what Bethel should be looking like. That's not what this says. Okay? So we have to take it. We can learn things from it, but it is not directly part of our inheritance and our promises. Okay? With me so far, everybody nod, just make me happy. Okay, good. I just, all right. So let's, uh, I want to make sure I don't miss it. Beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So yes, um, this is why this can be mishandled. So let's go on to the next slide. So when he was set, that's a very important phrase. I think we should apply this to our church. Um, in the Hebrew culture, when they gathered in the synagogue, the, when the rabbi was going to teach, he sat down. I don't know why we changed that in the church when the guy's going to preach. You all sit down. I stand up. Dan stands up. I think we should put a nice big recliner up here. All right. Turn in your Bibles. But then how would I lose any weight? I don't know. Okay. So, but that, that, as it says, when he was set, it was known when a rabbi were to step forward and sit down in front of the synagogue, that's when he would teach. Okay? And everyone else would sit. And we'll see this as we're reading through. Jesus oftentimes would get himself in a position on a hillside or something and sit down, and then he would teach. Okay? They, one of the things that we could do more of, uh, they would stand for the reading of the, God's word out of respect, but then the rabbi would sit to teach. 
So I'm working on that. Oh, we'll see how that works out. Okay. Um, just to give us an idea in that culture. So when Jesus was seated, his disciples came to him. Now, this is another very important part. Jesus' address is to his disciples. Okay, this was not street preaching. Jesus didn't just go out and stand in the multitudes and preach. This was something that he was directing at those who were following him. All right, now, as we'll see, we'll go to the next slide, there were a lot of people there listening. Very often there was a lot of people listening when Jesus was teaching his disciples. Okay, to the point where many times we'll see that Jesus separated himself someplace and just his disciples were with him. He got away from the multitudes. But in this instance, okay, the, the way God, Matthew is focusing here, he's saying, listen, Jesus came in, sat down, his disciples came to him, and Jesus started teaching them, his disciples. Now, just keep going. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not just as the scribes. So there were a lot of people listening, but the initial address was to the disciples, those who had set apart their lives to follow him. So again, in the tenets of the kingdom, he's saying, guys, you want to follow me? This is what your life should look like. Okay? This is what God had designed the children of Israel and to, as they're following their king. All right, And talk about a little different than what they were expecting. So let's keep going. He taught the disciples and the multitude heard. I just said that. This is how this passage must be understood. This is how you and I are looking at this. We are not the addressees. We are just the crowd that happens to be listening in. All right? So that's how we look at this. We don't go, oh, this was written to me. I got to tell you. No, we're just sitting back and listening to how Jesus was instructing these disciples, these followers. If you want to be a part of my kingdom, I'm going to tell you how you ought to be acting as kingdom members. Okay, keep going. Uh, remember, Jewish Messiah speaking to the Jews. Keep going. Um, just said this, but as a good reminder, all scripture is for me, but not all scripture is written to me. All right, and that's how we are approaching this. The Beatitudes are not the way of salvation. Okay? Many people think that if we can fix this world and just all live by the Beatitudes, there are a lot of people who will take these eight Beatitudes and think if they model their life after these, then they're okay with God to go into eternity. You are never okay into eternity without Christ. Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection is what guarantees us a place with God, not following the Beatitudes. And that's why I talked about when the social gospel gets into this and you think it's, if I, as long as I could live by these you know, eight Beatitudes here, then I'm all set. Sorry, all right? Uh, works can never take care of a man's sin. There's not a passage in the scripture that we actually could live by. Okay, When you look at these meek, hunger and thirst after righteousness, peacemakers, everything, we mess up all the time. How many of you can keep the Ten Commandments? I got enough trouble with those, let alone add eight more. Okay, This is not the way to salvation. But again, there are those in certain Christian uh, denominations that will try to say if you can f- live this way then you're okay with God none of us are okay without Christ 
All right, so I want that to be understood. This is all in looking at this, because we're going to spend weeks looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we have to understand that this is the way we need to observe this. This was written as God is talking about a throne of David with a kingdom which Israel was promised, and there should be some things in that kingdom that is reflected. But this is not the way of salvation, because our salvation is not based on inheriting the earth. Okay? Now, there is promise, talk about heaven here, but remember we talked about the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. All right, so just hoping to structure all this properly so we can look at it right. Okay, keep going. Um, however, disregarding the Beatitudes because they're written to the Jews and having nothing to do with the church is also wrong. Okay, keep going. A person who receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, now catch this, is the only one who would even be able to come close to fulfilling the Beatitudes. Now I say that because that verse that says, without faith it is impossible to please God. So if you don't have faith in Christ, you could never accomplish any of these. Because it's impossible to please him. Okay, but the flip side of that coin, right? Without faith it is impossible to please God, but with faith it's possible to please him. So only someone who had salvation in Christ would be able to come anywhere near approaching these. So again, even though that God is laying this out to the Jewish kingdom, there's going to be a struggle. Now, talk to me later about once Christ comes and does set his throne in the throne of David and reigns for a thousand years on this earth over the children of Israel. Tell me how these beatitudes will fit. That's going to be a time to see when he is here ruling with a rod of iron and God's people are here inheriting this earth. Then we'll see how these things really play out, okay? But just understanding, we're looking at these going, all right, uh, we really can't necessarily live by these, but if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no way possible you can come close to these because the first thing you need to do is have your sin taken care of by God through Christ, all right? So am I setting the tone for this correctly? You guys, I'm, I'm trying not to overspeak, but I want to make sure we're looking at it the right way. So, okay, remember, there are three ways the scripture is presented, historically, doctrinally, okay, personally, three applications of scripture. Number one, Jesus really said these things, okay? I think history is not that hard to understand, right? Jesus spoke these words. Number two, doctrinally, there are truths here that he's teaching, and now that's what we can look at. Maybe it's not saying we're going to inherit the earth, because that's a Jewish promise, but why? What is the purpose that God would want his people, the Jews, to act that way? There's a truth that we'll look into. Okay, and then... How do, now that we understand that, maybe we're not a Jew who's going to sit uh, uh, under the throne of David inheriting this earth. We're going to be in heaven someday. But that doesn't mean that there's not things that we can apply because what we hear Jesus teaching. All right? We keep going. Um, the description of someone who has Jesus as king. Now, I just sang the song purposefully, 
even though this is written to the Jews about a Jewish king on a Jewish throne in Jerusalem, and he's on the throne of David, and he'll be there for a thousand years and then into, on to eternity. We just sang a song said, I'm a child of the king. How many of you here are a child of the king? Okay, so if this is stuff that a person who's got Jesus as king should be understanding, it's important that we know it. All right? Yes. Uh, am I making this a, a... You can be an American, right? You could be born an American. Or you can come in here and become an American. Okay? But being born an American has a couple of extra privileges, doesn't it? If you came here to our country and were not born here, you cannot be president. Right? As at least so far. <laughs> okay? There were some quirks about that a couple of elections ago. But that's one of the rules. You are a 100% an American citizen. You are an immigrant legally, but there are several benefits that still are out of reach. That's what I'm talking about. We may be children of the king, but there's an old Christian song uh, that talks about um, every promise, every uh, word, every line, all the promises, the word is mine. That's not true because there are promises in this word that are directed only at the Jews. Okay, so we as Christians... Listen, I, I don't mind the idea of maybe inheriting the earth and living here for a thousand years in this physical planet, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm more happy about going to heaven and we're in a, there's a mansion waiting for me and I'm in a brand new spiritual body. Okay, they can have the earth, I'm going to heaven. Okay, there are some things that are different between the two, okay, uh, what's the, members of the kingdom. Okay, the Jews are the ones who have had the kingdom promise from the beginning, we're adopted in. Okay, remember it talks about we're the wild branch that has been grafted in. We really don't belong on this earth in the physical kingdom. We're going to heaven to a spiritual kingdom. Okay, keep that in mind as we're t teaching this passage. Okay, um, there are hundreds of books written about this passage. They will go into more detail than we will. I will tell you right now that you go out and look up a, uh, a book on the Sermon on the Mount. And you can find thousands of them. Okay? And they will cover more than we could ever cover in a year. Talking about just this sermon alone. Because there have been so many uh, children of God who have spent so much time teaching and preaching and going over this. Our goal is not to go into every single detail belaboring it. Okay? Because, again, each one of these we could take for weeks at a time and cross-reference through the Bible. We're just going to look at them as an overview to show what God is talking about, okay? Because applications to us are different. With that in mind, uh, feel free to study it yourself. And it's one of those uh, things I've learned from Dan, okay? Dan often on a Sunday will say, go home and read such and such passage for yourself, okay? And I encourage you to, okay? How would I, uh, what's a better word than encourage? Uh, 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 what's, what's? Exhort, that's the word I was thinking of. Not just, hey, go do it. Go do it! Okay, when Dan says that or I say this, listen, it is not his job, my job, once a week for an hour to feed you spiritually. We just get together and kind of put stuff in our ears as a group that we can take and, and get closer to God. Go home and read these things yourself, man. 
And if you want to get ahead of me on teaching through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, go get a Bible study book that focuses on it. Learn it for yourself. And you can come to me afterwards, like sometimes happens in the back. Somebody will come up and say, Pastor, you know, I was reading that verse, and I thought this, and I thought that. And I'm like, yes, thank you. My brain is too small to think all the things I need to think about. Go home and read it yourself, man. That's what God wants us to do. Don't Please don't depend upon Dan and I on a Sunday to give you what you need. Okay, That'd be like eating twice a week, and that's it. Some of us very, very obviously do not eat only twice a week. Okay. We'll be taking an overview. So there are eight Beatitudes, guys. Eight of them. The first four are passive qualities, meaning they're about you and who you are. The last four are more active qualities, what you do. Okay, so we're going to look at just the first four this morning. Okay, and just think about the things that God wants us to be. All right, and we have a phrase, and it's in my mind, I, I rehearse it now and then, is that God is more interested in you being who he wants you to be rather than doing what he wants you to do. Okay, because there's so many people who do things for the Lord, but they're not being the people God wants them to be. So God starts out this list saying, let me tell you some things that you ought to be in your life as a person before you go out and do the things that I've asked you to do. All right, so here we go. Number one, blessed means happy. Okay, now let that sit in. All over the scripture, God uses this word as happy. So blessed, you think, what does that mean? They get extra money, cha-ching, Okay, uh, what is it? No, blessed means happy. And we think, okay, that kind of shallow sounding. How many people in this world at this very moment in time would trade just about anything just to be happy? You hear what God's saying? I love this list. He's not talking about you're going to be rich, you're going to have a great house, you're going to be well-liked, you're not going to be famous, you're not going to have a position. You're going to be happy. I know some Christians who are good, Bible-believing, fundamentalist, preaching the word, miserable people. This is not happy. You know, what's great is we can have the truth of God and be happy. I hope you are. Man, I've met some pickle pussins, you know, sucking on a lemon Christians. You don't have to be upset. God says, happy are you, blessed, if this is the way you are. And again, with that in mind, um, there, these, these qualities, this happiness, these things we're looking at are completely contrary to what human beings think happiness comes from. Okay, happiness means I have uh, a, a very large 401k retirement plan and much money in the bank, and that makes me happy. Happy is I'm popular, and I have 300,000 followers on my Instagram account. God defines happiness completely different than what you and I would think. As a matter of fact, remember what the Jews were thinking what the king would do when he came? The Jews were thinking we would get a conqueror that would overthrow Rome. We would get a leader who would rally an army and conquer this entire world and set us up 
the Jews, God's chosen people, as the empire that ruled this world. So Jesus' teaching here is completely opposite of what humanity thinks. You want to know how you be happy? You be meek. You know how you be happy? Be a peacemaker. You know how you be happy? That's not what people generally think. Jesus is saying, you want to be a member of this kingdom that I represent as the king? These are the ideas that you need to have in your mind. Okay? The passive qualities, we'll look at them right now. These qualities can be cross-referenced all over the Bible, and that's why I'm telling you, we could spend so much time. Each one of these qualities, as we read them, there are so many verses in the Bible to uh, support what Jesus is saying. Okay, if we're going to say merciful, how many of us could probably think of 20 verses off the top of our head about mercy in the Bible? So that's why I said we're not going to spend time like if you were to bought a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to hit these things and let us go home and look at them ourselves. All right, here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Notice this is not poor. There have been religions down through the years who try to tell you that to be spiritual, you must sell everything you own and live as a pauper. Okay, go, go uh, put on a burlap sack with a knotted rope around your waist uh, and walk barefoot through this world and then you'll be a happy, God-serving person. Okay, this is so backwards. Okay, it has nothing to do with your physical wealth. And again, we were just looking in Sunday school a couple of weeks back that God had the Lord Jesus Christ here when he walked this earth, had quite a few wealthy people taking care of him. The Apostle Paul, same thing. Okay, Solomon, one of the wealthiest men on this planet. Abraham, a wealthy man. Okay, Job, wealthy, lost his wealth, got it back. Nothing wrong with having possessions. That is not what this is talking about. Okay, poor in spirit, meaning you understand how needy you are. What I find funny is whether you are rich or poor in this world, you know what the general human responses i want more okay who was it one of the rockefellers or something like that was asked how much is enough and the response was just a little bit more okay uh, it doesn't matter if you're dirt poor or got a lot too often you're focused on what you have or what you don't have but it's still about what you have okay you know what you and i need we need the lord if we would look at our relationship with God the way that poor people look at their relationship with possessions, we'd be a lot better off. What do poor people do? I just wish I could have more. I need more. I, I, what can I do to get more? I don't have enough. I want more. Well, is that how we respond to our Lord? I have a relationship with you, God. I just want more. I need more. This isn't enough. I'm just surviving. Give me more, God. When we're talking about poor in spirit, we're talking about that desire to have more of our God. Read his word, pray, cherish that relationship. Being poor in spirit. You want to be happy? Get closer to God. The poor in spirit means I just need it. I need it more. 
And that's how many times you know we encourage you to do daily Bible reading, and some of us that's really hard, and it's it's like twisting our arm, right? Anything else in in the day is easier than getting in the book. But if we would yearn for it, like somebody is begging on the street corner because they haven't eaten all day. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We are, it should be not the last thing we think of. It should be the first thing we think of. I need to spend time with my God today. I need him so much. Keep going. They're heirs to the kingdom of heaven, not heaven. Notice how this is written. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about that. It doesn't say the poor in spirit inherit heaven. It says they inherit the kingdom of heaven. And we've dealt with that very carefully. That is the throne of David that Jesus Christ will physically sit on here in Jerusalem in the future. Okay, That's why we have to be careful in qualifying this as a church passage. But we sure know what the teaching that Jesus is trying to get across. You have a poor poor in spirit you need him you desire him that's all you want just a little bit more of him number two oops Ah, philippians forgot this the apostle paul kind of had this wrapped up pretty well in his mind what things were gained to me though i counted them lost for christ yea doubtless i count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as dung, that I might win Christ. You want a description of poor in spirit? I count all of it as dung. It's all garbage. So that I can gain more of Christ. Second one. Blessed are they that mourn and are sorrowful. Again, Uh, We just talked about this uh, with several people who have had struggles. Um, Chrissy lost her mom, and a young couple I was discipling had a loss. And um, you know what? If we never had a problem, how could God work a miracle? If everything went smooth, then how does God step in and make it better? If everything's great... If we didn't have sorrow, how could we be comforted? You know, some of those times, and you hate to do it, um, your children, we learned about children in Sunday school this morning, (laughs) but that they can be such a, I won't even say it, get Dan in more trouble. But you know some of the most precious times with my little ones was when they were heartbroken and they needed to be supported? Yeah, it was great when we were out throwing a ball or kicking something, going for bike rides or camping or fishing or doing all those things. Those were great. But when they came to mom and dad because they were just at a loss and we were able to just say, listen, God's going to take care of this. And we got to comfort them through that time. You know, I hate to say the fact that mom and dad were able to comfort them means they needed to be comforted. Something was wrong. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. Look what the Apostle Paul again says. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed unto repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damages 
by us in nothing, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but a sorrow, but the sorrow, excuse me, sorrow of the world worketh death. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. The Apostle Paul says, you know, when you guys are sorrowful for something that happened in your life, it's not a bad thing. Because that causes you to repent and not do that thing anymore. So when he talks about, blessed are they that mourn, this idea is God isn't saying you're happy when somebody in your family dies, or you're happy with a struggle. The issue here is, if you are mourning because of your behavior, it causes you to change your behavior. So we see number one, you seek God more because you need him. Number two, you change your behavior because the thing you did before made you sorry. So have some godly repentance and you'll joy in the fact that God can bring you out of that bad behavior into a good behavior. How many of you have had some stuff in your life in the past that was terrible, but you don't have to worry about it anymore? God gave you the victory. And I look back and go, you know, I used to be miserable with that problem. But now I can have joy because my sorrow and my mourning over that behavior, God helped me to get through that, and now we've got the victory. Now the issue, I can focus on some other problem that I have. <laughs> but God gives us the victory. So he said, you know what? You're happy when you realize there are struggles in your life that you need to get better. Because when you trust in God and he gets you through them, it brings amazing joy. Next one. Blessed are the meek. Notice, not the weak. This is one of the struggles I have in most of the images from the past about Jesus. He's this mamby-pamby, lily-white, skinny-armed, little, you know, frail thing. Okay, my Jesus was not a weakling. But my Jesus, not only was he physically fit, he was the God of all. And he displayed meekness. What is meekness? Strength under control. Okay. He was a carpenter. And I don't mean he pulled out his Makita power saws and did all of it. I mean, we're talking about hand tools. The imagery that we sometimes see of Jesus just makes me upset. Because that's not my Savior. Matter of fact, John, uh, doing some discipleship with it, showed me a, a, a little funny meme of, of Jesus with the disciples, and Jesus looked like a bodybuilder. He was like, Rrr. okay, maybe that's taking it a little bit too far. But there was nothing about Jesus that was not ultimately powerful. But he kept his strength under control to the point where he says, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Meekness means you are willing to submit to what God wants and not fight against it. You know, Lord, is this what you have for me? I very well could cause a problem and not do this, but in meekness. Now, quick illustrations. How many of you have played shoots and ladders with your little kids? Or, or something like that? Uh, what is it with Queen Frostine and all that? Uh, it's Candyland. Okay. And you had the capability to wipe those kids off the map when you played with them. Right? No offense, but you're smarter, you've been around longer, you know the game. You... But meekness says, even though I could do that, I'm not going to do that. Because sometimes letting them win is just as good as beating them. 
numerous times. <laughs> 70, times. 70 times in a row, right? It means strength under control. Meekness, verse 5, not weakness. Notice, the meek shall inherit the earth. Again, very important that we understand this is not a promise to the church. I am not looking down the road here going, when well, after the rapture happens and everything, I go, this is a Jewish promise. So please, God wants meekness. And again, we could cross-reference this all around the Bible about how God's servants were meek. But when it comes to this passage, the way that Matthew is presenting it, he's remember, he's presenting it with a Jewish slant. But you want to know what one of the members of this kingdom displays? Meekness. Okay, Psalm. Just to remember, listen how close this is. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, that almost sounds exactly like the verse we just read, isn't it? And that was written in Psalms way before the church. Hey, this was a promise to the Jews. Okay? And shall delight themselves in abundance of peace. Okay? Understanding. God wants us to be meek, but the promise of the inheritance isn't ours. All right? Next, a little bit. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. As we get into this a little bit, you guys know the the verse and the song seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you okay we understand that god this is a command that he wants for every one of us now again please look at these are not the things that a natural human being thinks about when we're looking for success and happiness Poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, and hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I'm not hungering and thirsting after riches. I'm not hungering and thirsting after prestige. I'm not hungering. I am hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Okay? If you seek God's righteousness, you will find it. This is one of the things I love. God is never hiding himself from anybody. If you just go to his word... He will tell you what you need to know. He's not up there in heaven going, <laughs> oh, another one found me. Shucks. God wants us to understand his word. He wants us to grow. He wants us to learn. Okay? Then you will fill, find fulfillment. Nothing else works. Next part of the slide, please. Proverbs. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. Matthew chapter 6 will be there shortly. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, and we'll look at some of the things that he's talking about, will be added unto you. Next slide. We will be happy when we surrender our lives to God. This is speaking to Jews. And next week, next time, <laughs> next time, because we've got Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, so next time we get into Matthew, We'll look at Luke said some of the very same things in a sermon that Jesus speaks about, which is not primarily addressed to Jewish believers. Okay? But if we would follow God and surrender to God, we would be happy. These are the tenets of his kingdom. You're going to be a, a child of the king? Then we ought to try to be poor in spirit, 
We ought to understand when we do something wrong, that mourning and feeling bad about it isn't wrong. As a matter of fact, it can make you happy when God changes it. Okay, That we should be hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. And that we should be meek. That's a tough one today. Because I'll tell you one thing. There's times where I would just love to tell somebody what I think. I'd love to just grab them by the lapels and just, what do you think? Let God do the work on them. So again, if you want to have more study into these Beatitudes, feel free to read into them yourself. But wanted an overview, and we'll cover more of this when we get to it. This Sermon on the Mount lasts all the way to the end of chapter 7. So Jesus has a lot of things to tell us. But those are those first four. So maybe go home this week and say, Lord, help me to be that person. And then when we get back together, we'll look at, because of that, there's certain things that you and I should do as his children, as children of the king. Father, I thank you for your word and what it teaches us. Lord, this Sermon on the Mount, listening to words coming directly from Jesus about what he wants his kingdom to look like. And so, Father, we know that part of this is going to be a Jewish kingdom that you literally sit on a physical throne leading the children of Israel in this life. But, Father, it's also we're children of the king adopted in. And, Father, these same teachings, the same doctrine, these same life goals should be ours. But, Father, at the same time, we know the answer to this world is not a bunch of people acting meek. It's a bunch of people receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, it's not about people who are poor and destitute and sell all their goods to look uh, more needy and deny themselves physical things, and that's what impresses you. The only thing that cleanses us is the blood of Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus did on Calvary. So, Father, as we go out and live our lives like members of the kingdom, we have an important message, and that is Jesus Christ is Savior of all. So, Father, help us to get out there and share it. In Jesus' name, amen.